Hello, and welcome to the Austin Art Talk podcast. My name is Scott David Gordon, your host. I'm a photographer, art enthusiast, and collector here in Austin, Texas. This past weekend was the first of two for the East Austin Studio Tour. My main goal was to promote the podcast, and I'm lucky enough to have a studio in the Canopy Art Complex where there are at least 50 other studios and many galleries. So almost everyone comes here, and I came in contact with hundreds of people. It's exciting because I met people I want to interview, and I got a lot of great recommendations for artists I don't know that I can't wait to meet and hear their story and learn about what they do. I'm having so much fun with this. I've been getting a lot of feedback, which is great, so keep it coming. And it has all been positive, so that is rewarding. I received a Facebook message from an artist this week. She said, Great job on your interviews. I'm hearing stuff from people I know I never heard before. Because you asked. So glad you were doing this. This interview is with Stephen Walker, who I've known since he opened Modern Rocks Gallery here in the same complex as my studio in 2014. What I did not know is Stephen's history before moving to America with his family and all of the great things that have happened since he took that leap. Being a photographer myself, I really enjoyed this talk and spending time with someone who is also passionate about great imagery and getting better at selling that work and making a nice living doing it. So here is Stephen Walker. Okay, Stephen, uh, thanks for being on my podcast. Hey, no problem. Thank you for having me. So when people meet you, what do you tell them that you do now? Um, I own the best gallery in Austin, if you ask me anyway. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I'm a, I don't know, a curator, a collector, a music nut, a photography nut. I don't know, I'm, lots of things. But all I do know is that I, I own, and I'm very proud to own, um, what I think is a, is a really fantastic gallery here in town. I agree. Thank you. And where did what was the genesis of this gallery? Um, I was, in a previous life, I was um, a musician for a long, long time. And mm-hmm. uh, I've been a music fan ever since I can remember. I had music in my family growing up. My dad was a drummer. My dad was Wilson Pickett's drummer. Wow. On his only UK tour, Wilson Pickett came to the UK, and he, it was back in the early 60s, before you would just take the whole band on the road. And they basically, it was just him and his guitarist, and they, they needed a band. And whilst everyone else was kind of doing the the Beatles and Stones thing in the UK, my dad's band was doing American sort of soul and stacks stuff. Oh. So they were the only band in town basically that could handle the the music, I guess. So he got offered the job of being Wilson Pickett's drummer. So and my my granddad was an opera singer as well. So I've oh. always had music around me. So anyway, my, my big thing was music. And uh, so I you remember- grew up playing instruments or you were kind of your parents, your dad said, hey get into playing music. well I, my dad was a drummer and i wanted to be a drummer as well but we lived in a tiny house so i couldn't have a drum set so i was like all right i'll buy me a guitar instead then and they did and so i, I just started passionately playing the guitar as a teenager but even up before then music was around all the time and with me i used to get albums and just kind of devour the covers and just mm. like look on the inner sleeve and the pictures and i got to know you know what photographers took what pictures and i i I used to like the kind of bands that had a really strong identity, like The Clash, mm-hmm. where they, it was like, you know, when you're in a band, it's like rule one, look like a band. And everyone dresses the same and there's a real strong sense of image. And that kind of carries over into the album covers as well with so many bands. So you were um, kind of analyzing and appreciating the branding of the band. Yeah. Like that was something you noticed. Yeah, oh, Branding, such a horrible word, isn't it? But, <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're right. I, I was, yeah. And the way bands put themselves across, it was really important to me. And I, I was a little kind of fashion freak as well at a young age. And I wanted to look like the band, dress like the band, walk mm-hmm. like the band. <laughs> I remember, yeah. So basically... It was all about music, and, and for me, imagery was a huge part of music. Mm. And then when I, my music career kind of went on and on, and I started touring a lot, and I was touring America quite a lot. And then I started taking pictures on the road because I was getting bored. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine who uh, was a, a fashion photographer saw the pictures, and she said, these are actually really good. And that kind of inspired me. And I started taking my photography more seriously. Yeah. Um, and then it just got to a point where... I saw this gallery in London. I walked past it every day on the way to to work. Um, I was running an, another gallery, a completely different unrelated gallery. 
but I would walk past this one place every day and it was full of rock and roll photography. And uh, I just used to stop every day. It made me late for work. Mm. I'd just be staring at this incredible imagery. Yeah. And that just reignited my, my love of... Because back then, it was all on CD and it was iPods were, were out. So it was all CDs and iPods and it was all kind of the imagery and the, that whole theatre of opening up an album cover for the first time and seeing the inner sleeve stuff. It was kind of lost. It was lost completely. Yeah. It was all. It was in your phone now and in your iPod or whatever, mm-hmm. um, or in a tiny little CD booklet, which yeah. those things are horrible. So for me, it reignited that, oh. and I always wanted to, to sort of pursue it. Really, it, it, I had this thing in the back of my head. Um, I wanted to open a photography gallery, and I thought about where I could do it. And uh, I approached that gallery in London and said, "I'm going to move to America, and I want to open a gallery for you in America." And they actually, to my surprise, they went, "Okay." <laughs> I was like, all right. <laughs> and then it was like, oh, crap, I've actually got to do this now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Austin was my first choice mm-hmm. because having been here a ton of times on tour with the band, I was kind of, there was something about it that was pretty special. And, and, it, and you had been to all over the country. Yeah, we worked out on one tour. We'd, we'd been to like 44 states in the space of about eight years touring. And it was kind of, there wasn't many places we hadn't been really. It's exhaustive. Um, Exhausting. Uh, yeah, I, I really like. I remember s- s- parking up at the Austin Motel, walking across the road and sitting in the Continental having a drink and saying to the drummer, "This is a pretty smart place. I could live here. I like this. Yeah. This is pretty cool." And there's something about it. It was something quite special. It's very welcoming, very accepting, and kind of um, a kind of place where you'd want to be. Basically, I think yeah. a lot of people. I th- and what I like about this place as well is that you come here and. Uh, Everyone who's not from Austin lives in Austin for a reason because they want to be here. Yeah. And that makes a really, really big difference. Hmm. Yeah, they're not here because they were born here and they're stuck here or whatever. They're like, they yeah. really want to be here. Yeah, I think everyone kind of wants to be here. So there's this kind of thing that's in the air, this unspoken thing that exists, I think, that um, it makes Austin quite magical, yeah. in my mind anyway. Um, and I just thought, you know, let's go for it. So my wife and at the time my little kid, who was two, we picked up sticks and moved over. Mm-hmm. And uh, what kind of operation was that? I mean, is that hard moving overseas? That or? was really the weirdest thing about that was because there's a different electricity thing over here, and TVs are different. We got NTSC and PAL or whatever it is, different mm-hmm. TV yeah. things, you know. So we had to sell all of our stuff. And then a week later, we're buying the same stuff again. So it's like we sold the couch, we sold the TV, we sold the stereo equipment, ah, we sold everything. Yeah. And then literally five days later, it's like we're buying a TV, we're buying a couch, we're buying everything. Yeah, yeah it was like this long list is like, must sell this stuff and then come back and replicate it when we get here. And yeah. that was kind of weird, like dismantling a life in a place where you grew up and then rebuilding it kind of quite quickly. And then I'm sure you're probably having a lot of doubts and fear about like is this even going to work am i what am i dragging yeah. my family into here definitely I st- to be honest i still think that now four years later oh wow to be honest it's it's kind of it's a big ask to hmm. to yeah i mean my son didn't have much choice in the time and and you know he's happy now yeah. which is good so that bit worked and the gallery is 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 working so few i mean god knows if it, if it had completely gone the other way and just failed abysmally. I don't know what I'd be doing right now, but I'm probably just working in Starbucks or something. I don't know. Would you still be here? Would you guys have, have had to move back? I don't know. That was never an option. I must hmm. admit, I, when we came here, in my mind, I knew that the gallery would work. And I, I don't know what it was. I think it was my passion for it and my want to do it and, and my love for what I do. Mm-hmm. It just drives me and, and my family drives me as well my my kid I love him more than life itself and it's like I, you know inside you kind of I, you know I, I imagine a day sitting him down saying well sunshine we're going to go and live in a hotel for a while because we can't afford the rent because the business has crumbled blah 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 you know yeah. I, that, that just isn't an option so I'm very driven with this gallery very very driven and uh, and the wonderful thing is that you actually really love love it too I, yeah I was saying to you earlier it's like I the gallery's been open three and a half years now, be four years in April. And every day when I come here, I open the door and I'm really happy to walk in. I love it. I just, I love being in this space. I did, it's, it's great. It makes me feel alive. I really, really love it. It's really important to me. Did you ever get that feeling from playing music? Yeah, I did. That was, that was another thing I did and I loved. 
yeah. yeah. And I miss that. I, I, I must admit, I, I suppose I've replaced it with something that um, I love just as much. It's very different, mm-hmm. but I love it just as much. I, I don't know. I've, I've always been one of those people that I've always been encouraged by my family and to go off and do things and just try. And I think you, you learn by your mistakes and you just pick yourself up and you move along and you, you know, you get it wrong, but then you say, well, at least I tried and you don't have any regrets or doubts. And I've never had kind of barriers or brick walls put in front of me. And, and I think that's really helped me to just sort of achieve mm-hmm. the things I've done, I suppose, because, uh, they, I suppose they are kind of, you know, joining the band and then going off on tour and, and living that poor rock star lifestyle for a little while with absolutely zero money and, and you know struggling no home no i mean you, yeah not really but that was, that was the old gag was what do you call a guitarist without a girlfriend homeless <laughs> <laughs> it was a little bit like that for a while no you know you, you give it everything you give it yeah. everything you've got and then the same with this it's like yes yeah, I, I don't know maybe it's something in in me that i kind of i owe a lot to my grandfather i think he oh. was a massive inspiration to me um and my grandmother as well they were both really kind of just like you can do whatever you want to do sunshine just go and do it Mm. just believe in yourself just go and do it and and it will be fine it will be fine and i've always kind of had that that makes such a huge difference yeah i've I've had that belief always and like i say when we took the first steps and we had to write the deposit check for the the space here and then get our first collection of prints together and on day one open the door it was terrifying but in the back of my mind i knew it was going to work where do you think your grandparents got that attitude? I mean, did they go through World War Two and London yeah, and all that? Basically, yeah they they've been through a lot, lot more than we have. I think it's, I don't know, just an attitude thing. Just uh, I'm not sure actually. Maybe I shouldn't know. Hmm. Maybe I should just pass that yeah the attitude on to my son and 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 just leave it at that. Some things you, you know, it's just part of you, and, and just be grateful for that. Yeah. I'm wondering when you decided to pick up photography, like, how, did you have any idea what you were doing? You know, like, what kind of camera did you buy? Like, how, did um, you I, have any idea? I was given a camera by a friend of mine um, who was a photographer and just was told on t- one tour, it was like, just take pictures, just document the tour. And I was oh. like, okay, I'll do that. And just did it. And it was a 35 mil and it was it was dead basic, but which is I mean to be honest though now I I work with so many photographers, mm-hmm. and I'm working with a lot of photographers that that only know digital photography. My one bit of advice to all of them is go and get yourself a 35 mil camera in a thrift store, go and get some film and go and shoot with that before you pick up your digital or or at least you know play around with the digital for a while, but then make a point of stopping and going onto physical film because you you just have to think differently. You have to think like a photographer with a 35 mil camera. Whereas digital does a lot of thinking for you. Well, and you have to slow down a lot because yeah. you can't just shoot a thousand photos. Exactly. Exactly. You know, there's no delete button. There's no, yeah. you know, which, which so I started shooting on film and, and when I was on the road shooting stuff out of the moving window of the truck or whatever, and I knew I wouldn't go to a truck stop for the next three hours and couldn't buy any more film, so I had to make sure the shot was good. And yeah. I think you're just so much more considered, aren't you? You you, you think about framing more. And, and I think one of my strengths as a photographer was that everyone kept saying to me, you, you frame stuff really, really well. You seem to understand composition within an image. Um, and I think that's from my music-loving days of looking at album covers, because I'm looking at covers taken by incredible photographers that are mm-hmm. at the top of their game and that was my my benchmark if you like and that's another thing about the gallery is that i'm dealing with i deal with the duffy archive and, and brian duffy is the guy that took the david bowie aladdin sane album cover yeah and i'm speaking to these people every day wow and it's kind of like if you told me that even a few years ago when we first opened let alone when i was a kid i wouldn't believe you um that's nuts <laughs> yeah. it really is and what how good was your photography do you like your photography i mean i don't see any hanging up in the gallery <laughs> no how good was my photography <laughs> i did get published uh in the uk i was a i was a pretty good I, I i was a bit of a traditionalist i was shooting digitally because you just have to when you're shooting live music mm-hmm. but i definitely would when i would sort of process the, the images afterwards i would definitely um 
lots of black and white and lots of contrast. And I would take a classic approach to the imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what time period was this when you were started shooting? Oh, crikey. This was kind of mid-90s, I guess. Okay. Yeah, mid-90s, I think. Uh, yeah, I just took a lot, a lot of pictures and started taking pictures of the bands and, and really enjoying it. And, and I could have probably pursued it as a career, but um, I didn't. <laughs> did, it, did it bleed out into your life at all? Just kind of documenting your life, your family, your, yeah, where definitely. you live? Yeah, and, and that's what I love about photography. And It's funny, when I, when I grew up, there wasn't really a camera around. Um, there was a lot of music around, but there wasn't a camera. Hmm. So there's not that many pictures of me as a kid. There's just a handful. And, and I've since, thanks to iPhones, taken about a billion pictures of my kid. But yeah. I'm really glad about that because I look back now and I'm so glad that we've got that. And I'm actually kind of almost jealous that there isn't that footage of me as a kid because yeah. I think it's really important. I think I'd, I'd you know, I'd say to anyone who, who's who's got family and who, or just anyone in life in general, it's like document your life, mm-hmm. you know, get your face out your phone and look around you and, and look at the things you see and, and look at yourself. And, and I don't know, it's really important. I think you would, you regret that if you don't do it. Yeah, I agree. How do you think you ended up being so visual so early? I mean, it's just interesting. Like I'm sure a lot of people that were fans of bands and got albums, Back when you were a kid, they were just looking at the band. They weren't kind of like analyzing mm. the visual aspect of the design of the present presentation of the whole thing. I don't know. Um, it's a good question. I, I'm not sure. It just was part of me. I mean, I suppose being having been told that I'm a, I'm a half decent photographer and that I, my composition and framing, blah blah blah, is pretty good. I suppose there's a part of that that is me anyway, mm-hmm. I guess that, yeah. that part of my brain is doing the right things. Um, I don't know really. I, it, it just seems to, I, I was really interested in art at school and, and visual stuff. And I was definitely more artistic than academic mm-hmm. without a shadow of a doubt. Um, so I think it's just, it's just something in me, I suppose, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now that you've had the gallery here for almost four years, like what it, uh, it's been a great ride, right? It's I mean, there's probably nice. a lot of things that have happened that you would never have expected people have come through your door. No, definitely not. I mean, the Nirvana thing was mad. That was very early on in, in Austin. I, I was lucky enough to, to meet Kirk Weddle, the photographer of the of the Nirvana Nevermind album cover, which mm-hmm. is, you know, that that is the most famous album cover of the 90s, without a shadow of a doubt. The, yeah. the floating baby, dollar bill, blah, blah, blah. Um. And to find out that A, he lives in Austin, and B, he's a really sweet guy, and, and C, we became really good friends, it, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have imagined that in a million years. Um, so I, I just went to him and just said, you know, I'd like to sell your pictures in the gallery. And, and he was really trusting, and he, I, he just said, yeah, why not? Let's do it. And we sent out a press release. I kind of got them all on the website. And there was a few of them had been around before, but not all of them. But I, mm. I managed to see the whole shoot. And he let me curate a collection from it. And I, I did that and we released them and we sort of sat on them for a bit and we sold a few. And then that movie Montage of Heck came out. Mm. So we said, let's do a proper, proper release with a press release. You know, never really done that before. Yeah. It's, it's exciting stuff. It's like <laughs> real galleries do that. Let's yeah. do that. So we, we did a press release and I sent it to a newspaper in Seattle thinking if anyone's going to want to write about, you know, Kirk Cobain and his buddies, they'll want to write about it. And they did. And the strangest thing was the next day it got picked up by a uh, tabloid newspaper in the UK. And then from the tabloid newspaper running the story, it pinged back over here and BuzzFeed picked it up and ran a story on it. And Consequences Sound ran a story on it. When I came to work and there were two answer phone messages, one was from MTV and the other one was from Billboard. Wow. And it was like, this is fucking nuts. <laughs> and all of a sudden, there was one, I remember it was one Sunday afternoon and the gallery was, was doing okay. It was growing nicely and it was, you know, it was, um, it was making the right noises, you know, it was kind of okay. And we'd done a few online orders before. We'd just taken the gallery online as well. And when all of a sudden, I kept checking my phone and every time I checked my phone, there was another order came in and the first order that came in was for the biggest size print going to London. And then next order came in biggest size print going to Germany and then another one it's like a medium sized print going to Japan I'm like what the fuck 
fuck's going on here? Yeah. This is nuts. And then that one Sunday afternoon, we just watched all these orders come in. And uh, it was, we were crying. It was just bizarre. And I was ringing Kirk up and saying, Kirk, you're not going to believe this, dude, but um, we need to get some printing done. And I need to work out how to <laughs> ship these bloody things. And I'm, there's the first few prints we shipped out, there's me cutting up cereal packets and bits of cardboard wow. and trying to duct tape prints. It was literally <laughs> like, this is not easy, is it? And we, we had to sort of grow up really quickly Yeah. in the space of a day. I, I remember speak, speaking to my friend Billy, a son of a sailor, and he was like, it's a company called Uline. They do packaging stuff, tubes, boxes, you name yeah. it. And I got like a, a hundred tubes delivered the next day and then just spent the next week solid rolling up prints, putting them in tubes. And Kirk, every day, Kirk had to turn up to sign more prints. And every day he came and I gave him a, a nice fat commission check. And he was just like, we were both just sort of laughing and crying at the same yeah. time. It was bizarre. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, we're on the map. And then all, what happened was a ton of photographers, really big photographers that I wouldn't have thought would even touch us. Yeah. Suddenly are ringing me up in person and saying, can I join your gallery? Oh, wow. And, and there was a bizarre kind of three month period where um, it was kind of weird to keep up with. It was really strange. It was, you know, because there's, as far as dealing in rock and roll photography, there's a gallery in New York, there's one in LA, there's one in San Francisco, and there's a couple of other little bits here and there, but I always just see the big boys as my competitors. Forget the rest, really, you know. It's not, you yeah. know and we were sort of, up, we were getting their photographers call, up, call us up, and I thought they wouldn't even want to know us, you know. Yeah. Funny little gallery in a, this little artist community in in East Austin. Yeah. And, you know, my main competitor is on Sunset Boulevard. Oh. It's kind of really interesting stuff. Yeah, I don't know. Is, uh... Bizarre. And and it kind of just grew from there. And, and since then, we've just been picking up more and more photographers. And we, we got... It was like getting a name for the gallery overnight. Mm-hmm. And all the other big galleries were trying to poach Kirk. They kept ringing him up. And, and he used to come here and we used to sit here and have little print signing sessions. And he'd always bring a six-pack of beer and we'd just sit and chit-chat and... I was worried that he'd just sort of go off and yeah. go one of the big boys. And he, you know, I think one of the reasons I love the guy to death is he was, he's fiercely loyal and he was like, man, you're putting everything into this. I love it. Let's do it. Let's just do this, both of us. And since then, it's kind of just grown and grown and grown. It's great. Yeah. Who else um, kind of surprised you when they called you up or came um, through the door? But I, there were two sides to it for me. There was the online side and the fact of having these big international photographers and collections and, and whatnot. But I, I completely understand where we are and what happens here and what happened here in Austin before, mm. you know, before the current day music scene, I guess. And it was all the old boys. It was the Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson stuff. It was that. And I know that's been really well documented. And there was only one photographer in my mind to speak to. And he's the, the big guy in town, basically, is Scott Newton. Mm-hmm. And Scott is the Austin City Limits TV photographer, has been for 39 years. Yeah. He's got this phenomenal archive of William Whalen and, and all that stuff. It's, yeah, he shot everyone. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And I just knew, and I waited until, I wanted to re- get in touch with him first. My thing was like, get, you know, we got the international collection already. We kind of did it backwards. But we need to get this local guy in. And, I and the called, international came from... Came from that the, was the connection from the, the, gallery, the gallery in, in London. London. Yeah, I, I sort of turned up with with um, a phenomenal connection. I mean, it was like a world class collection from day one. Okay. And yeah, I, I was going to ask you how that helped. Like what the, that it, it meant definitely helped because people were coming in and seeing signed limited edition prints by like Don Hunstein, who was the uh, Columbia Records photographer who shot Bob Dylan in the studio shot. Uh, Miles Davis while we were recording Kind of Blue mm-hmm. in the studio did did Dylan album covers you know yeah. the, the freewheeling album cover of them walking down the street in New York yeah. in the snow he did that and you know so I the, the, the day we opened the doors I had that stuff wow. on the wall okay. yeah. so that was kind of the, yeah uh, it was talk about run before you could walk it was kind of uh, we opened the door with that stuff but I knew I had to get Scott in and I waited until the Nirvana thing peaked mm. and he had heard about it and I just called him up and he was just like yeah, I'll come on down. We'll have a chit chat, and and again, we've become great fra- friends since, and we've we've got the exclusive on his collection as well. And I I get the the fun of going to his house where he's got this little back room, which has got all of his archive in, and getting to pour through his collection and to 
make an arc, you know, make a, a limited edition gallery collection from it. Mm-hmm. And in my head, I was I was saying to him, we'll probably start with about twenty images in the collection. And he was like, yeah, good luck with that. I'm like, what do you mean? And we he opened the door, and it was like, oh, you yeah. know, that, we're going to need a bigger boat. Try to narrow that down. It was like, ah. Oh. <laughs> And so we, we narrowed it down to a hundred. Oh wow. <laughs> and okay. I, I managed to get it down to about sixty images when we when we launched. And there's there's more to come and there's there's stuff in there he hasn't even seen in thirty five, forty years. Um, so you're talking about film or digital or both? It's, uh, all film. All there's oh, just wow. boxes okay. and boxes and boxes of negatives. It's all gonna have to be rescanned. I mean this ah. is this is a would be a full time job for someone to, to even do and he's still actively shooting for Austin City Limits. So, so are um, these things that he shot for them or no? Before? This is his own archive. He arrived in Austin in the early seventies, okay, and went to the Armadillo and didn't know anyone in town, so he took his camera with him. So he had someone to talk to, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, you can sort of put a camera up and take pictures, and yeah. um, you know, and look like you're important, and no one yeah. bothers you. <laughs> so he he took some pictures there, and then, and then cut a long story short, he became the. Um, in-house photographer at the Opera House, which was um, owned by um, William Nelson. Oh, so, wow. and where you got you got the Opera House there, and, and there was a green room, and then at the back of that, they they had a dark room. So he would shoot bands that night, and we're talking about all the, the big acts coming through town. You know, and it was Waylon Jennings, and it was all you know the big boys basically, yeah. and, and like Bonnie Ray and and you know all those sort of bands. Mm-hmm. He'd shoot them and then just go straight back to the dark room and actually um, and actually process the film that night, which is just nuts. Oh, I wow. mean, yeah. I mean, we all now go back and sit in front of a computer screen until yeah. we get bored and then go to bed. <laughs> but he actually was doing proper dark room prints Quick at, at four in the morning. Um, and because For what? Of, I'm, you know what? I don't know, actually. I never asked him that. Oh, maybe I should ask him. Maybe for the newspaper. I think or? there was some for newspaper, but also just gem- I don't know, just generally documenting. And there was definitely some some press work in there as well, without a doubt. But um, that sort of parlayed to him into to meeting the guys that do Austin City Limits mm-hmm. right back when it started, and that's how he got that gig. And he still actively shoots today. Um, he's he's you'll see him there every 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 taping. He's shooting the stills there he's kind of a bit of a legend but does he own that work though for the ACA? no he doesn't we, we have his archive his personal archive okay um but the acl stuff is owned by them he's on the payroll basically and, yeah. and you know what it's like it, we we can't touch that stuff unfortunately mm-hmm. um though you know if anyone was going to sell it i'm sure we'd do a very good job of it yeah obviously <laughs> but it, his archive is phenomenal i mean it's kind of what I like about it is that usually you pick up photographers' archives and, and if they're an in-house photographer at some place or other, there'll just be a lot of live stuff. And, you know, someone with a guitar singing into a mic, after a while, the picture's got to be pretty special yeah. to kind of float your boat. You know, you see a lot of that stuff. Um, but he was kind of in the green room a lot and he was like, you know, we got shots of Woody Nelson doing a charity round in little short shorts. Yeah, We got shots of Woody Nelson with Coach Royal, the YouTube football coach, kind of big golf buddies apparently you know hanging out together we've it's almost got, like he was following people around outside of the show yeah i mean, I mean we got like ann richards and dolly parton you know together yeah. meeting for the first time we got like almost one of my favorites actually is one in the green room of of the opera house is uh the fabulous thunderbirds when jimmy vaughan was there with stevie ray vaughan and um they're just hanging out backstage and it's just kind of that stuff's gold you know you can't yeah. You don't get that anymore. You don't even get photographs like that anymore, let alone, you know, we've got this archive of these amazing backstage images. But even in modern-day terms with musicians, it's like photographers aren't allowed in the recording studio and they're not allowed backstage. So that kind of... Ah, yeah. That genre, if you like, of that that kind of candid behind-the-scenes thing doesn't even exist anymore. I mean, we got shot up there of, of... David Gilmore playing guitar on Wish You Were Here at Abbey Road, you know, recording. And there's no, and, and the photographer, lovely lady called Jill Fermanowski, is in the room with him. There is no way on God's earth right now that any photographer would be allowed in the room while someone's doing a live guitar take, you know. Yeah. It, it, it just doesn't happen. It's as simple as that. Things are too controlled now. I yeah, guess. exactly. And this is back from a day when things were so much more free. And I think that that's what I love about this collection is... And I think people really appreciate it because um, 
it reminds us of what an amazing sort of friendly place Austin is because there's all this kind of great imagery of all these amazing people. Just like a simpler of, time. Yeah, exactly. We totally much simpler. more innocent. Maybe well, we got we got loads of shots of the Willie Nelson Fourth of July picnics from the seventies, and the crowd shots are nuts. It's basically, I mean, it's like you know Austin in the summer. It's a hundred degrees out there. Yeah, it's as hot as the sun. And people were telling me they used to arrive at like midday with a cooler full of Lone Star and that's kind of it and a, and a hat just in case it got hot and they're there till midnight and it's like but now when you see kids at ACL they're bringing tents and deck chairs and they're bringing umbrellas and they've they got yeah. this and it's kind of like that's not that's not going to a festival <laughs> they're bringing like three course dinners in picnics and stuff and it's like but back then you look at these pictures and it's like you're right simpler times People would, I think it was just the thing back then was just let's have fun. Yeah. I don't know if people do that anymore. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure they do in some ways. Yeah, I'm sure they do. Is there anyone that you're got your eye on now? Like, are you hoping to strike a deal up with? There is a photographer I've spoken to. We have had words and we will be working together, but we just haven't got it together yet. It's a guy called Michael Zagaris who's built, uh, He's based in San Francisco, and he was the uh, San Francisco 49ers. He was their stadium photographer. Hmm. So he's got this incredible archive of real gutsy, gritty, 70s locker room stuff with the 49ers, which isn't our thing, obviously. Yeah. But of, whenever there was a gig in the stadium, he was the photographer there. And because oh. it's such a big stadium, you've got like you've got The Who, you've got, you know, you've got big bands, you've got Grateful Dead, you've got Led Zeppelin you got these big bands through and he was best friends with Baron Woolman who I work with who's a seminal photographer from the 60s mm. who just got this incredible archive and he was shooting with Baron so that, but he wasn't there as, as a music photographer he was just there documenting so again he had access backstage and he had you know we got shots of like he's got shots of Pete Townsend in his little trailer before he goes on stage with the Who kind of warming up and noodling around this guitar and he's got this massive guitar stack inside this little kind of room and he's just sort of all hunched over and he's just you know going through the mo <laughs> it's just bizarre stuff that you just yeah. people don't see that yeah all they see is the bit when the band go on stage and say hello san francisco you know it's the stuff before and after and, and michael zagaris because of his position and because of what it was like back then has got this phenomenal archive of like incredible backstage stuff of all these massive bands that I hadn't even seen before. Hmm. Um, that I, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about getting his work in. How but, did you connect with him? Uh, he liked a post of, I did on Instagram. And uh, he, he he said something. It was like, really, cool shot, dude, or whatever. And I clicked on his thing. And it was like, whoa, hang on a minute. <laughs> and I think because he wasn't a known music photographer in the same way he was best mates with Baron Woolman. So it's kind of like everyone talks uh, about yeah. Baron. Um, I mean, he's got a book out. He's got a fantastic book with some great shots of uh, some great bands in, but I, he wasn't a, a massive name in that kind of field, if you like. Mm-hmm. So I, I was, yeah, I didn't know who he was at the time. It was like, holy moly, your stuff is amazing. I just wonder how many other photographers there are like that out there that have these kind of uh, um, lost collections of images. Yeah, I think... This, I must admit, I, on the other side of the coin, I also get an awful lot of people come in and say, yeah, I used to shoot bands in the 70s. Here's my stuff. Oh, okay. And then you have this kind of awkward, like, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's like, you ain't no Don Hunstein, are you? You don't want to insult people. But I've been shown some pretty, what people's idea of what's what's good yeah. I, is not my idea sometimes. Um, which is why one thing I think has helped the gallery is that it is a curated collection. I don't just throw stuff on the walls and see what sticks. Mm-hmm. There's nothing in here that I don't rate as an image. Um, so at the end of the day, there is a, a we've set ourselves a very high threshold of quality, and mm-hmm. I I stick to it basically. Yeah. You know, and you have to. You, you know, I think you have to at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, I have had some awkward conversations with people where thanks but no thanks. Um, so I guess maybe then that could take us into you know talking more about running a gallery like what have you i'm sure you've figured out so many things over the last three and a half years but like what are some of the big things that you've kind of 
come to mind when you think about like selling art, selling photography, running a gallery? Like, what are some the big lessons? Um, I, I do. I genuinely think people people think that I just kind of swan in there every day, go and get myself a coffee, open the door, skip for the door, and, and there's, <laughs> there's a fifty grand check on the floor. Oh, there's another one. It's, it, and the phone's ringing. It's like you know, Artie Fufkin on the phone. He wants to buy. It, it doesn't work like that. It, yeah. It's it's if you want a really honest answer, an honest question, it's fucking hard. Yeah, it's really hard. Um, it's and like it's twenty four seven. Yeah, you don't. Uh, you don't. I don't stop thinking about it ever. I, I'm if I, see, I you know my phone. Thankfully, one good thing about modern technology, I guess, is my phone is. If I see something, it's like I just save it straight away, and it's like I either take notes or I'm taking pictures of stuff I see or make a note of a name. Someone will just in passing say, oh, "Have you seen so and so's work?" You you never switch off. And when you know you've had jobs before where you you close the door and you go home and, and you leave the job behind you, but when you own a business, the, you know the bottom bottom line is you, and that that really is it. And I don't begrudge that though because I I think about this stuff all the time anyway. But you enjoy it. I yeah. love it. I absolutely love it. So I don't you know I mean it's, it's tough on the family sometimes when I get told by my six year old that to put my phone down. Ah uh, yeah. But then again. But you're kind of doing it for him, partly, too. Yeah, well, you... if, if only he knew. <laughs> <laughs> Look at his son. Yeah, one day, one day. No, I mean, but then again, everyone's got their faces in their phones anyway, but I'm actually... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at least I'm not trying looking at pictures of myself life. on Facebook. I'm actually trying to kind of... I'm researching some photographers or whatever. Um, it's it's hard, and there's a lot of galleries in Austin. The Austin gallery scene's interesting because there's a lot of galleries, and there seems to be this thing, this kind of three-year thing, where if you survive three years, you've done it. Oh, I didn't know that. Feels like that. There's a lot of galleries go under pretty quick, mm. and I think a lot of people think if you just open the door and put some pictures on the wall, because Austin's a cool, funky place, people will come and buy the stuff off the walls. But the thing is, there's a lot more doers and makers, because it's an artistic community in general, I think. you mm-hmm. know, There's a lot more doers than makers than there are people that buy the doing and making um, yeah, uh, that for sure. There's a lot of photographers. There's a lot of artists. There's a lot of everyone's got something going on. It feels like anyway. Um, and it's funny that the life of a gallery owner here in town's a, a tough one because it, it is hard. Um, we have had some, some success, and I'm very proud of that. But at the end of the day, you make your own luck. You know, mm-hmm. you, uh, it, this has been successful because I've worked really bloody hard to make sure it's successful. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes people just open galleries and just think it'll be fine and it isn't it you've got to be really you've got to be really savvy you've got you've got to be prepared to be fluid and and be thrifty with it and kind of think about things and, and if something doesn't work you've got to change it pretty quick or you know at the end of the day you live on die whether people or die on, on the fact of whether people come in your gallery and buy the things you've got in here so i mean that stresses me out being yeah. in the east austin studio tour sometimes like East is a good one, actually. For, for for me as a business owner, what I like about East is that that's my benchmark. And every year, we this is our fourth East, and every year we've taken more money. And, it, you know, I do this because I love doing it, and I tell people that, And but I also have conversations with people around the fact that we have to take money, and it's not – I'm not trying to buy a boat and live off the Bahamas. Um, yeah. I, but I do have to feed my family and pay – very expensive rent in austin and and also what people don't realize is that 50 percent of what you if you sell a print off the wall 50 percent of it goes straight back to the photographer Mm -hmm. or the artist and then you've also had to frame it and put it on the wall and then advertise it and promote it and also open the doors every day and turn the lights on it's it's not yeah the photographers make more money out of my gallery than i do Mm -hmm. um good job i love doing it really isn't it <laughs> yeah. but east is, yeah it's a good benchmark for me because it, i've watched it shows me that i'm doing something right because people keep coming back and we get repeat business and then we've taken more money each time um and i did wonder whether we'd sort of hit a shelf at one point financially here but we've, we seem to have broken through that which is which is nice so we're here to stay and we're here to get bigger and better so yeah money can definitely be an awkward subject for artists and i wonder how that is maybe 
maybe a lot of the photographers that come in here already have an idea what their work is worth, but I mean, how do you navigate that? I mean, navigate that with the artist selling the work and then navigate that with people that are maybe like, why is this so expensive? Yeah, it is tough because, you know, we'll have a picture of Willie Nelson by someone that's $600 and then a picture of Willie Nelson by someone else and it's $1,500 or whatever. Um, And you just have to explain to people, it's like, you've got different printing processes that make a print more expensive, the size of the print, the photographer, how famous is the photographer, how famous is the shot, is it a limited edition? If so, how big is a limited edition? Um, there's there's so many sort of variables. But there, I have to sort of explain to people there is a market price for photographers' work. And so the big photographers, there is a market price for them without a doubt. And, um, and, you know, it might be a shock to some people. but And some people kind of come in, it's quite funny, and they're just like, but it's just printed on a piece of paper and it's like well i didn't do it on my little office printer tucked under yeah. my desk it's like even the the printing process and the machines that, that make these prints are are big and very expensive and and there's been time and consideration kind of to make this thing look as fantastic as it does mm-hmm. so um some people don't don't quite get it and some some artists and photographers are scared of galleries but and they just do the whole kind of I'm not giving fifty percent of of you know my work to someone else. It's like yeah, but that person is the one taking the risk mm-hmm. at the end of the day, who's paying the rent. You know, it's like if if we don't sell any prints, we can't pay the rent and we shut. It's as simple as that. Yeah. So I'm taking a you know I know I'm taking a very big risk. My family is taking a very big risk, but that's not not that's no one else's problem but mine. It's my choice to do it. At the end of the day, yeah, but I'm sure uh, as artists or photographers know, like trying to do it on your own is, yeah, good luck, hard. Yeah, everyone's like, oh, you know, so you sell a lot of prints online. It's like, yeah, we do, and they'll be like, well, great, I'll, I'll go and sell my prints online. It's like, yeah, good luck, you know. But again, yeah, that word brand, it's like, you know, we we are a world world renowned gallery now. We have a a, a world class collection, mm-hmm. and we send prints to. Japan and we send prints to Australia and we send prints to Europe it's as simple as that and people know how to find us and, and because we've worked hard to get exclusive collections um, people find us and we send prints to far-flung places um, again though it's been a lot of work to get that that, that wasn't luck you know you make your own luck you, you yeah. work hard and, and, and you know if anyone else wants to try and sell their stuff online good luck but, but don't dismiss a gallery just because you don't want I mean everyone wants to take some money from you somehow you, you sell a print to someone and they pay by paypal paypal takes a bit of the money Every, yeah nothing's free nowadays it's as simple as that um i think the one of the benefits of i mean like being in this gallery would be that just the diversity of all the other photographers i mean and you're in that group yeah and someone comes looking for that other photographer and then they find your work i mean yeah. that's not going to happen if you're just by yourself absolutely and also at the end of the day it helps you, you you know you you concentrate on being an artist let someone else take care of the selling it for you i'm really good at what i do you're really good at what you do between us the sum of the two things could be pretty good i mean kirk weddle realized that with his nirvana stuff he was like you know you're great at selling stuff i've got the pictures already let's get together and see what happens and and it really worked and i think you have to it's it's tough though to to, to let go and to sort of relinquish a bit of control i guess and and to sort of offer your work up to someone else to sort of help with but i think at the end of the day you have to kind of um look at what you want as an artist it's you know i've, I've had there's, there's a group of artists here that are kind of starting a a kind of artist community thing if you like where they want to sell together and do group shows mm-hmm. and it was interesting when we had the first meeting there i'm sitting there with like 10 different artists and it was like a weird non-profit yeah, we're a non-profit. And there's like, hang on a minute, but what do you want to do? It's like, I want to make money. What do you want to do? I want to make money. Well, you're not a non-profit then. Mm-hmm. Don't, you know, it's like, what do you really want to do with your art? And I think if you want to just make your art and and keep and you do it for yourself and you don't need the money, fair enough. But if you do need the money, you, there's lots of ways to do it. Um, but you've got to look at galleries. You've got to look at online platforms. It's as simple as that. And, you know. Yeah. Well, I think it is hard, though, too, because... There probably aren't enough galleries, really, for all the artists, all the artists making work. And then, you know, you can't just be an artist. You have to be a social media yeah. expert and a self-promoter and yeah. all these other things, too. It's funny. I think a lot of people walk past here and they just see me with my face in the phone. 
it's, it's cuz I'm continually social networking I really am. Yeah, tell you me about to. your strategy around that or like tell me what you've learned works best at least for you. We well, I mean we've sold prints from an Instagram post before. Mm-hmm. I've I've posted stuff on Instagram and someone's been like wow I'd like to buy that and I'm like well go on in and they do. Yeah. Um, it it really it really helps I mean let's face it Instagram is purely visual. It's it's a good visual platform and it's quick and i think in this day and age people are scrolling 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 on their phones there's so much stuff out there mm-hmm. but with instagram i think it really i really i think it really helps photographers a lot um it's difficult because there's there's algorithms there that, that, that they work with and it's not it's not a case of you put a picture up and it's great and ten thousand people like it it doesn't really work like that because ten thousand people won't even see it um yeah it's like facebook is don't yeah exactly it's not it's not that simple but I, I, Instagram's good for art, definitely. I mm-hmm. think, you, but you've got to just be really, you've got to be consistent. You've got to be frequent, and think about your hashtags. That sounds so yeah, cool. Yeah, I was going to say, how do you get followers? Um, or how have you found it works best to get I'd, more I'd, followers? When we, well, when we first started doing the, the Nirvana stuff, we got us picked up a lot of followers. But what I found was that they were sort of like fourteen-year-old kids from Idaho, and they're not going to spend a few hundred bucks on a print. Yeah. So. I kind of I wanted to sort of widen that a bit, so I I found a bunch of core Nirvana fan um, Instagram accounts, and I messaged them all and was just like, "Hey, can you can you post this for us? And I'll give you a mention. You give me a mention." And they did, hmm. and all of a sudden we got hundreds more followers, and and sales came from it. So, so you're networking, yeah, I guess so. It, Trying yeah. to create more like win-win situations with people, basically. Yeah, I mean, and. They think we're some kind of frou frou gallery from somewhere impressive, and uh, you know it's not really. It's just me sitting there on my phone. Yeah. But then again, it's like some thirteen-year-old kid in Idaho sitting on his phone as well. But you know, it amazes me when some some people put stuff up and it's like it gets ten thousand likes within within two hours. And I I remember when I hit the more than ten likes barrier when I first started, <laughs> I was really excited. And, and now we averagely we get about two hundred likes for a post, which is pretty good actually i mean yeah it's you've got to keep going basically but it's the same with anything it's like when i was a, people used to ask me when i was a musician it's like how come you know your band's been successful and you've managed to be a professional musician what's well, that because i didn't stop mm-hmm. and don't 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 put stuff on instagram and get three likes and two of those are from from your partner and your next door neighbor and you, you know <laughs> don't give up basically you just go yeah. but persistence yeah i think i think artists are driven anyway that's why you do what you do isn't it so but it's it's kind of think about the way you think about your art but think about it on, in social networking terms and kind of just be as persistent or as prolific i think that really really helps i think so many people do three or four posts don't get too much response and just give up mm-hmm. you just gotta keep going at it Sometimes i mean then, you just have to brainstorm like and think out of the box or whatever you want to call it just like like thinking about contacting these nirvana groups or whatever it's just like yeah. whatever you could think of to try to like trigger something some yeah. with some other group or some other people yeah i mean basically i, I that's the, yeah you've just got to get your head down and, be, and just think about things and and not necessarily think quite so laterally about it just kind of throw it out there and see what happens and mm-hmm. yeah you've got to be open to stuff hmm. what do you have coming up next um I'm working on a show right now, which will happen early next year. Um, usually our shows focus around one specific photographer. Um, but this time it's going to be a more of a group show, but it's going to be contact sheet prints, um, which I love contact sheet prints. And, mm-hmm. and for those who don't know, I mean, it's back from the days of shooting physical film, when you would shoot a roll of 36, you wouldn't print every single one. You would do a contact sheet and you'd get all 36 on one sheet and have a look and, you get your little China graph wax pencil out and you yeah. mark off which ones you, you want the printer to print and then you go ahead and do it. Um, but these contact sheets to me are just f- photographically, they're, they're gold. I mean, it shows so much about the relationship between the photographer and the sitter and, mm-hmm. and it tells a story of a shoot. Um, it's like behind the scenes of behind the scenes. Yeah, and but also they look really cool. And, and mm-hmm. if you don't necessarily want a picture of... of um, of a musician standing there playing his guitar in the living room but a contact sheet of a portrait would say you've got lots of you know it's almost like that sort of Andy Warhol thing with the yeah. multiples it, it, they're just really 
to me they're really interesting and they say so much more than a single image does and i've i've spoken to all my photographers and wherever they they can i've got them to pull their their original film out and, and create contact sheets from them and uh I, I think they look fantastic. I, I print them in large format as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they look striking, and they're just really, really interesting. And they're, they're for real fans, I think, as well. Of you know, if, if you're a, like I say, there's a great one we've got by Don Hunstein of Bob Dylan uh, from about '65. Of a session with him, just sitting there playing guitar with his then girlfriend Suze Willoto, sitting next to him. She's the woman who's on the cover of the Freewheeling album cover with you know, walking down the street in mm-hmm. New York. And it's the two of them just sitting there. And what I love about it is the first frame, they're looking directly into camera, both of them. But the whole story is that the two of them were just so in love. It's like no one else in the world mattered. And for every other shot uh, on the roll of film, they're not even looking at the camera. They're just chit-chatting and kind of like loving each other and just being together and, and as if Don Hunstein wasn't even in the room with them. Um, and it tells a real story about their relationship, about how relaxed they were in, in front of Don and how... Uh, yeah, have, have, I don't know. Yeah, just how relaxed they were, really, I guess. And it just shows a, a really different side to a photo shoot, to me, yeah. anyway. I love them. I mean, I love to see, especially when there's a really famous photo in the mix, and then you get to see the juxtaposition of all the other moods and faces and moments in that whole shoot. I mean, just being a photographer myself, I've had those experiences, and it just, yeah, it's really neat to see that. Yeah, definitely. It's like we we got contact sheets from the uh, David Bowie Aladdin Sane album cover, the famous one with the lightning flash makeup on his face, and the the famous shot is him looking down with his eyes slightly closed. But then there's there's ones with head to the side, head looking up a bit. There's eyes open, eyes closed, one mm-hmm. eye open. There's this, you know, you just know that that, that Brian Duffy, the photographer, was like, okay, head up, head down, turn to the side, now try it with your eyes. You know, there's this, yeah. there's the process that made that incredibly iconic image um and the contact sheet shows that process and it also shows that photographers don't always get it right which is no, really, no. which is important you know <laughs> yeah i mean these are the images that you have here are whittled down from hundreds of thousands of images probably i mean yeah. it's it, it is hard to get a great photograph it really yeah. takes a lot of work especially like with something like an album cover that you know you got that iconic album cover but to know that that was one of 200 shots that Which was, today might be one of 10,000 shots. Yeah, probably with digital. Is. That then gets manipulated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. At a later date as well. And yeah. Yeah, there's something magical and kind of uh, nostalgic about shooting on film and knowing that something was shot on film and you know that it was just on one roll by itself. Yeah. And you see the contact sheet and you know that it wasn't just a rapid fire thing. It was like moments and... And you know, pacing the photographers, pacing themselves, yeah. and they're kind of being with the people. They're not just rapid firing. Was it Walker Evans? One shot. That's it. Boom. Yeah. He would just get his gigantic plate and slide it on in there. Take lens cap off. Lens cap goes back on. Done. Yeah. That's. that's and the, these shots are iconic, world famous, considered the best. And he did not take two hundred shots. He just took the one. Because he knew what he was doing, you know. And yeah, I like that. Yeah, it makes me wonder if photographers are as good as they used to be. I mean, I guess I think they are. I think they are. I think there's some incredibly talented young photographers out there. There really are, and, and there's people you can tell have got an eye for composition, and they have got an eye for framing, and they understand they understand photography. I think that's the thing. Is the problem with the digital age is when it first came out, and they were making these entry level little Canon Rebel things and they were only a few hundred bucks and all of a sudden everyone's a photographer Mm -hmm. and but it's like no you're not you've got a camera you're you're a camera owner you're not a photographer um but people thought they were photographers and 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 it's amazing what people you know you can still see the good the good ones through the bad there was an interesting thing in the uk uh, a friend of mine was a a fashion photographer and she was shooting a lot of editorial for the the big sunday supplements like you know you get the big sunday newspapers and you get the magazine the glossy magazine Mm -hmm. and she was shooting for those and she would shoot on film and the budgets were for film but then all of a sudden this email comes out and to everyone it's like we don't we don't accept physical film prints anymore it's digital so you know your budgets are being cut because there's no money for printing and processing anymore and then all of a sudden the quality of imagery 
in those supplements went down hugely mm. because all of a sudden there were an awful lot of photographers. Um, some the really good ones were like, sorry, shooting on film, not changing my ways, deal with it. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden there was a lot of people it was like, someone's dad knows the photo editor's next door neighbour and, and you know, little Johnny down the road just bought a little Canon and he's really good at shooting stuff and and the threshold, the quality threshold went down hugely and for about mm. a year or so, this first year of of them accepting any digital submissions only. Growing pains. Yeah, some of the photography was terrible. It really, it was noticeably terrible. Um, and it was because, you know, spend, getting daddy to buy you a 10 grand camera doesn't make you a good photographer. Yeah. Understanding that you're capturing light, you're, you're composing works of art, you're composing images, you know, or, on on paper mm-hmm. um i think people those basic skills weren't people weren't learning how to take pictures and there is an art to taking pictures and you know you have to have an understanding of composition you, you just do it's as simple as that and even if you're just doing a fashion editorial shot of someone wearing a nice suit having them stand in front of you wearing that nice suit does not make the good picture mm-hmm. yet so many people just thought well I've got someone wearing a nice suit in front of me and I've got a camera so I'll be able to take a great picture it just doesn't work like that and there was this very yeah very strange learning curve in the, in the, the press in the UK whilst they kind of they sort of realised I think and they, they, then they sort of peeled it back a bit and they started paying decent money and getting decent photographers again and, and the quality went up but also a lot of I think the digital revolution the same thing happened in music um, I think it sort of spawned people actually looking at the art properly and people going and getting 35 mil cameras in the same way vinyl's making a big comeback as well. Yeah. People were looking, going back to basics and looking at what they do and looking at why they actually do it in the first place and what turned them onto photography and looking back at the classic photographers and, and then basically kind of translating that into their modern day work. Um, what kind of advice would you have for a photographer then? Um, find what you're really good at. I mean, at the end of the day you, you see some photographers websites they come to me and they say oh, I shoot live music and you look at their website and there's a section for live music a section for portraits a section for babies a section for dogs a section for wedding photography it's like you know don't don't kind of water yourself down find what you do and focus on doing that and and do that well um become the best music photographer there is out there, not the best music photographer slash wedding photographer slash baby photographer, you know, yeah. find your thing and, and, and choose your path and stick to it and try not to um, distract yourself. Just, just really focus on what you want to do. Yeah. So you don't really have any digital photography here, do you? In um, the gallery? I don't, but I'm not saying that I wouldn't. Yeah. There is a few actually. There's, there's not anything framed on the walls, but there are a few in the bins, a few more sort of contemporary things. But on a whole, I, I, as a gallerist, I have to look at what sells. Mm-hmm. And the simple fact is, is we sell a lot of Bob Dylan, Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd. Yeah, we don't sell many pictures of Gary Clark Jr. taken at the Paramount last December. Yeah, it's as simple as that. And mm-hmm. and if I filled my gallery with stuff like that we'd be more like a, a a music history museum than a, a we are a retail gallery so we yeah. you know like i say we live and die on on what people buy and and i know what people buy because i know what i get asked for and i i do a lot of analytics on our website and look what people are searching for I, if anyone searches on our website for anything i i get a list of what people are looking for oh wow um and that really helps me curate because and there's also stuff on the website I've put up there trying things out that not one person has looked at in three years so you know you don't always get it right and you, <laughs> you have to just try different things so no there isn't much digital photography here at all really but only because right now it's not really it's not what people are looking to buy yeah and, and maybe that's not it's, the style of this gallery either I mean, yeah I mean we we are approaching this from a classic viewpoint because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm an old fart and I you know, I know what I like and I like what I know. You yeah. know? <laughs> and I'm sure there probably might even be band photos of bands that you like that maybe nobody have heard of, like some obscure bands from England or whatever yeah, that you would the, probably love to have here. Yeah, there, there, there's definitely – I've get i got a lot of good friends in the UK and they offer me up, up stuff all the time. And 
and from the the rock archive collection that I was working with in London um as well there's stuff of theirs I didn't bring over just because there's not a lot of point really it's like you know I do have to I do have to sell at the end it's of the day it's just too obscure yeah maybe for yeah though this but, audience you know, photographically it might be fantastic but and someone might want to buy it but the chance of that one person might want to buy it, it mm-hmm. isn't really good enough when you when you own a gallery you simple fact is we have to sell prints to survive and yeah. and it always it's interesting because people love the gallery and they appreciate the gallery and what we do and what we're trying to do and but to still be there we have to continue to sell mm-hmm. so we you know we do have to be very selective in what we have on the walls it kind of reminds me when i interviewed troy camp at kamiba art he mm. was saying that uh he really tries to keep the aesthetic of the gallery consistent so that people when they come in they yeah. know what to expect yeah i've, I've definitely done the same I, i've set myself a very high benchmark and and i mean basically my, my golden rule i guess is there's not one thing on the walls of the gallery here that i wouldn't have on the walls in my house mm-hmm. um yeah i do keep a, a really really high benchmark for myself and I, I i work really hard to stick to it and and I, it's very very considered more considered than people might think I think sometimes people think you just throw stuff on the walls to see what happens but there's there's a big thought process I even kind of group things together and I I, I put like with like thinking that you know we've got a great picture of Bob Dylan there, there and, and then I kind of the stuff I've got around it if you like that Bob Dylan shot the chances are you're going to like everything around it as well and there's a real you do have to think but at the same time you have to keep the quality really really high Mm-hmm. Basically, I think at the end of the day, I always just think I just I don't want to let myself down. You know, I, you, you kind of always got to be on guard. Yeah, and you don't want to, like you said, come in here happy every morning that you're getting to do this and kind of look and feel like, oh, I cut I cut a corner there. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, there's been over the years, there's been a couple of things I put up, and afterwards thought uh, maybe shouldn't have done that. But as well, you got to be honest enough with yourself and say, well, at the time I kind of thought it might work, and it, it just didn't. You know. You win some, you lose some, but you just you just carry on, don't you? Yeah. What's the future of the gallery, and what's what are you looking forward to the most, and um, uh, what are you excited about going grow, forward? Uh, growing, I think, continuing to grow. Um, what does that look like? It just means me continuing to work really hard to bring new photographers in, to bring new work in, to to continually switch out the walls. One one compliment we do get is that you could come in here and then come in here six weeks later and, and it looks completely different. I continue to keep the gallery as fresh as I can um, and keep the quality really high. And it's interesting since we opened, people would come in originally and do a lap and be out at the door in two minutes sometimes. Mm-hmm. And now as, as when you came in, when we first started to do this interview, someone was in here for about 35, 40 minutes Um people stay because I make sure that there's a lot of stuff on the walls to keep, you know, a lot of high quality stuff. And, and you, you watch people's faces when they come in and, and they, uh, you can see that they're like, wow, there's, you know, the connections are already made with you because you, I think when people buy art, they go in a gallery. Sometimes people will just choose to buy a piece of art because it matches their curtains or it goes with the cushions they mm-hmm. just bought at Ikea or whatever. But you have to have a connection with something to want to buy it. Mm-hmm. But here the connections are already made because you, you grew up listening to Led Zeppelin or whatever and you love Led Zeppelin and all of a sudden there's an amazing live shot. I mean, I've, I've had someone buy a, a shot from of Pink Floyd from 1977 and the reason he bought it was because he was at the gig. Mm. And it's just, you know, you can, I, I watch people's faces and you can't beat that. The, the yeah. sheer joy on their faces when they see stuff and it resonates with them, but not just a little bit, really resonates with them a lot. And, and that lets me know that I'm doing my job right, I think. And so as far as the future is concerned, I need to keep doing that. Mm-hmm. And there's only a finite amount of stuff out there, but I'll continue to to sort of try and thrill and excite and interest people here and, you know, always make sure that this is a world-class gallery in an amazing city. And you want to do this for the rest of your life? Um, yeah, it'd be nice to take a break. That'd be quite nice, I guess. I'd like to do this to the point where I don't have to be here every single day. Not that I don't like being here. Yeah. But um, do you think, it, yeah, eventually you'll have like an assistant or I th- I th- I think someone that could cover for you? I think you need to sometimes pull back from something to, to fall back in love with it again. I've not fallen out of love with this yet. 
and I, maybe I never will, but I'm aware that that could happen. So I think I'd just like it to grow. Um, I, I love being here at Canopy. I really, really do. It's a fantastic community and it's, um, it's served us really, really well. And I don't know if it would have worked in the same way if we, if we um, hadn't have been here. And being in Austin was very fortuitous too. Yeah, definitely. I'm music, live music capital of the world. Yeah, I mean, that was a, that was a, <laughs> yeah, that was a, a definitely a deliberate move. It's like if it's not L.A. or San Francisco or New York, it's got it was either going to be here or Nashville. Um, yeah, and this one. Um, yeah, but, I mean, maybe we open a, we this always stays here, and we open somewhere in Nashville, and we we open somewhere in Chicago. Who knows? I don't mm-hmm. know, but I know that it doesn't just end here. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, it will always grow, and it will always um, the threshold will always be, you know, pretty high. The benchmark will be very, very high. So uh, onwards and upwards, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. nice. <laughs> would well, you have any closing advice in general for someone else opening a gallery, or maybe on a completely separate note, just um, a photographer, photographers looking to get their work out there? Just anyone really doing anything? don't stop just mm-hmm. it's it's hard it's really really hard i won't pretend it's it's easy at all but y- you know if you know within yourself that you that what you do is is great and it could you know just let it be all it could be don't put brick walls up in front of yourself just keep pushing just keep doing what you do and you know it, it will it will work eventually and set yourself a goal say you know why why am i doing this what do i want to do with it where do i want it to go set yourself a goal and, and kind of uh, push yourself towards it. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing. The only thing that stops people from doing things really and truly is yourself. Yeah. You come across hurdles and you get everything from the, the tax man to, you know, to your mum not letting you stay out late or someone <laughs> steals your camera. I don't know. There's always, there's always a reason to yeah. not do something. But at the end of the day, the actual reason you don't do something is yourself. Um, to just keep pushing just be true to yourself and keep pushing alright I love it (laughs) well thanks so much thank you I appreciate it if you like what I'm creating and want to support my efforts please consider becoming a patron by going to the support page at austinarttalk.com and clicking on the patreon link There you can read more about my goals and plans and hopefully choose a level of support that is comfortable for you, which could be as little as a dollar a month. It all adds up. I'm very grateful and appreciative of any support and will strive to put out the best content I can and add value to the lives of those who listen. Thank you for your time and take care.